I like Sunday nights when we do a Bible study so we can just talk a little bit and I can share things that are on my heart and uh, ask you to pray for things, etc. And uh, let, let me ask you to pray. I know lots of you pray for me and pray with me. Can I give you something to put on your prayer list? Um, lots of you know that I started uh, teaching at Anderson again this past Thursday. I teach on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Um, and, I, and I mentioned that to you. But the reason I mention it again is just because I give all of my students a, a form, a student information form where they fill out, ask them lots of questions so I can kind of gauge their spiritual temperature as I'm teaching this class. And I had, uh, and this is not being recorded, I assume, up there. So, I mean, at least not this portion. Uh, I want to ask you, what, what is your favorite psalm? We're in this series called Replenish and we're looking at different psalms. The last two weeks, we've actually looked at psalms that are Lisa's favorites or portions of them are her favorites. Uh, what are your favorite, what is, what is your favorite psalm? Somebody tell me, what's your very favorite psalm? 23rd, all right, I knew somebody would say that one. What else? 100, 53, 8, 139, 37, okay? Somebody tell me if you can, and you may not have an answer to this, why is one of those your favorite psalms? If you can tell us quickly, why is it your favorite psalm? Shows that God is sovereign over his creation. Why else? Why is that your favorite? Okay. Prerequisites for worship. For Psalm 100. What, what else? Did you find a psalm in a hard time or a difficult time? Or have you found a psalm to be very uplifting for some reason? Why is it your favorite? Anybody? Right. Amen. Well, Psalm 46, I, I would be hard-pressed to say what is my absolute favorite, but one of my favorites is definitely Psalm 46. Um, and I'll tell you the story, some of you know the story, I'll tell you the story in a little bit about why. But, but here's the question I want to deal with. And, and I think I've put this on your notes. How do you handle your greatest fear when it becomes a reality? How do you handle your greatest fear when it becomes a reality? The writer of Psalm 46 faced one of those situations. And out of that real life experience, uh, the psalmist wrote about some things that we need to, write, to, to understand. He wrote about the shelter and the security, if you want to put that on your notes, that we have in God. The psalmist was writing, though, from a real-world perspective. He was not writing from a theological tire, t- a tower. He was not writing to, to sit down and say, you know, I think I'm going to write a psalm today. He was not sitting down doing that, but he was writing out of a real-life experience, and we'll see what that is in just a few minutes. And out of that real-life experience, he wrote about what happens when your worst reality or your worst fear becomes a reality. And, and I wonder what your worst fear might be. You don't have to tell us that, but maybe it's the fear of a loved one dying. Or maybe it's the fear of your marriage crumbling. 
Maybe it's the fear of your health uh, leaving you, perhaps getting cancer. Uh, My dad always had a fear of cancer, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Or maybe your fear has become a reality. Maybe your spouse has committed adultery, or they want to file for divorce, or maybe you found out last week that you're about to get laid off from work, or Maybe there's a financial crisis that came to your mailbox this week. Uh, Perhaps you have a relative or a son or a daughter or a grandson, a granddaughter that was arrested for some reason. Uh, Maybe perhaps you've got a daughter that, that has become pregnant. Nobody knows about that. How do you handle it? When your greatest fear becomes a reality... Well, the writer of the 46th Psalm explains how he dealt with life, how he dealt with the situations. Uh, One of his greatest fear became a reality. And to help you understand the background, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Psalm, I'm sorry, to 2 Kings, verse 18 and 2 Kings, chapter 18 and 19. You're going to participate with me tonight. I hope you will. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to scan, and just read quickly, those two chapters, 2 Kings 18 and 19, and it might be helpful if you work with somebody nearby and say, let's figure this out. Uh, what, what, what is this text about? And so you can just look at the headings in your Bible, you can look at the footnotes or the study notes, or you can just read quickly the text. But I want you to, together in pairs or groups, try to figure out what is this text 2 Kings 18 and 19 all about. Okay, can anybody explain to me uh, what is 2 Kings 18 and 19? Summarize it just in brief fashion. How can you summarize it? Say that a little louder. A godly king takes the throne. He does, but what, what is happening against him in this text? Say that. Who's coming against this king, this godly king? Syria. What's the, what's the king's name from Assyria? Sennacherib. Now, Hezekiah is a godly king. But he gets word that the, that the Syrian army has surrounded the holy city of Jerusalem. They're poised to overtake it. They are poised to destroy it. Now, Hezekiah, in chapter 19, he gets a report. And I want you to, if we had time, we could dig into all of this. But let's just look at how he responds to this. Chapter 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. I love that picture, that picturesque. He's carrying this letter in his hand to the temple. And when he gets to that place of prayer, he lays it out before the Lord to pray over it. Verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. And here's what he prayed. O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Please remember that. You might even want to mark that. That's an important reference to something we're going to see in a moment. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. 
Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Do you ever want to say that to God? God, are, are you listening? God, do you see? Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. That is, the nations around them. It's true that they've destroyed these, these countries around us. Like in Egypt. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Don't miss verse 19. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that All the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Now, going back to Psalm 46, you say, well, what does that have to do with Psalm 46? Well, in Psalm uh, Psalm 46, the psalmist was writing out of that experience. The psalmist and the, the inhabitants were nearly powerless against the Assyrian army. And when it looked like they were doomed, God intervened in their situation. And out of that experience, that real life experience, the psalmist wrote about the security and the shelter that we have in God. When God delivered them, Psalm 46 was born out of that deliverance. So, here's what I want to talk to you about. When you're going through rough times, there are two principles I think that can help us. If we'll follow these principles found in Psalm 46, maybe when your worst fear becomes reality, maybe when your greatest struggle becomes reality, maybe these two principles will help you in those troubled times. Here's the principles from Psalm 46. First of all, let me read it before I give you the principles. Here, verse 1. Again, with that background that we've just read, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Even the bow and the I'm putting parentheses here. Even the bow and the spear of the Assyrians. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here's two principles that will help you in those troubled times that we all have. Here's the first one. And when I say it, I know you're, going to, you're just going to kind of write it down and you're not going to think about it, but I want you to stay with me and I want you to work your way through the text with me and see in reality how this works. The first principle is this. 
When you have those troubled times, principle number one is this. Maintain the right focus. Maintain the right focus. Many times when people have personal storms that that turn their world upside down, they are so devastated that they lose perspective in their situation. All of their energies and all of their attention are focused on the problem, and rightly so because it is a great problem. Often the problem is so overwhelming, though, that they can't handle it. And the result is depression, fear, worry, anger, apathetic, frustrated, but because the problem becomes all-consuming and they lose their focus, they're so uh, saturated with the problem that they, in this very difficult time, forget where their focus should be. Keep in mind that when the writer of Psalm 46 wrote verse 1, he was writing it from the perspective of God delivering them from the Assyrian army. And here's what he said. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, here's what I want you to do. Rather than kind of walk through and give you points as we go, I'm going to give you the first three points right now so that you can kind of listen as we work our way through. Uh, There's three S's there on your outline. Verse 1 talks about safety. God is our refuge. Verse verse 1 also talks about strength. He says, God is our refuge and strength. And verse 1 also talks about security and ever-present help in trouble. All of that is is in verse 1. And the reason I want you to see that is because that becomes kind of the foundation for all we're going to learn in Psalm 46, that God is our safety, God is our strength, and God is our security. I just want to get that out of the way so you can sit back and listen. By the way, you may or may not know this. Do you know the the old hymn Martin Luther wrote? Anybody know the hymn that Martin Luther wrote? Well, he probably wrote more than one, but the one that he's really known for? Mighty Fortress is Our God, and it was based on this scripture. Came out of real life experience in his life. And it was based on this scripture. Martin Luther found Psalm 46 to be the psalm that he needed in a very difficult time. Maybe you'll find that too. I've got to tell you a personal story. I've told it before, so it's a repeat for some of you. But it's one of my, it's one of my stories that I keep going back to personally. Because it has meant so much to me and helped me so often. Years ago, when I was pastoring in North Carolina, I preached the message from Psalm 46 called, called When Your World Gets Turned Upside Down. That was back in the day when we had cassette tapes. And I, my mom and dad didn't get to hear me preach very much, so every so often I would either send them or take them cassette tapes of my messages. And one of them happened to be the, the message on Psalm 46, uh, 1, When Your World Gets Turned Upside Down. Dad loved that message, and it's just one of those things that, that just uh, resonated with him. He thought that was the greatest thing. He'd tell people about the message that Keith preached. He'd give them copies of the tape, you know, and he, he was just, uh, he just really enjoyed that message a lot. And then one day, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and Psalm 46.1 became more than simply a message he enjoyed. Psalm 46.1 eventually became his anchor. 
You see, my mom and dad were, they're both in heaven now, but my mom and dad were very, very close. In fact, is my wife here? I don't have my glasses on. It's my... She's back there? Okay. I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to do this anyway. I was thinking about this this afternoon. I was thinking this afternoon. I didn't realize it until this afternoon that I, I think I'm a lot like my dad in the way that I relate to my wife. Dad adored my wife. Or my wife. <laughs> His wife. <laughs> he liked Lisa too. <laughs> Dad adored my mom. But he also liked to pick on her, just like I like to pick on Lisa. He, he just, and he would just sometimes smile because of what she would say, just like I, I don't want to get off on that and get too sentimental, but I just want you to understand that he just, he just loved my mom, he adored my mom. Uh, and then he found out that she had cancer. And he crashed. Dad has always, was always a godly man, but he just couldn't take it when he found out that mom had cancer. And he was really, really struggling. And then he remembered the message from Psalm 46.1. I'm not talking about the message I preach, but I'm talking about the message from Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. And so dad said that he decided, he said, Keith, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was worried to death. I was... I was angry and I, all these feelings. He said, I, I finally went outside and I started walking around the block. And I kept quoting as I walked around the block, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And he'd think about mom and he'd think about her cancer and he'd think about whether she was going to die or not. And he'd re repeat, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He said, Keith, I just kept walking the block and walking the block, quoting that over and over and over. And I said, Dad, how many times did you walk that block? He said, son, I don't know. I said, well, how long did you walk? He said, I kept walking and quoting until I believed it. And that, <laughs> that's why this psalm is my favorite, one of my favorites. I could still hear him say, I kept walking and quoting it until I believed it. You see, sometimes when our world gets turned upside down, we can lose our focus. When our world gets turned upside down, we can get so worried. When everything is falling apart, we can get so discouraged. And rather than, than focusing on God, we focus on the problem. We focus on the situation. And, and we get frustrated. We get angry. And we get fearful. And we forget that our security does not come from our circumstances. Our security comes from God. Regardless of our circumstances. You see, see if you can agree with this. My security does not come from my ability to solve my problem. My security does not come from the fact that I may have all the answers. Or I may not have all the answers. The psalmist said, no. My security comes from God, period. 
And even when I don't have all the answers, and even when I don't have all the situations worked out, even when I am still fearful, uh, my security is not in what I can figure out or work out. Look what he says in verse 2 and following. Therefore, therefore, because God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its, ro- though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. He's simply saying this, if you look at the things that, that talk about permanency in life, those things that, that, that should, by the very fact of what they are, they should be permanent, they should be trustworthy, like mountains and ocean. He said, even if the mountains crumble and the oceans roar with, with fury, our refuge will still be God. Pastor Keith, how could he have such faith? I don't want to run out of time, so I'm going to skip a little bit and go down to verse 7. Because I learned something in verse 7 I want you to learn. Because this is going to help somebody. Go to number 2. I'm I'm skipping some things here. Go to number 2. Reclaim. Here's the second. One, maintain the right focus. That is a focus on God. Number two, reclaim God's concern for you and his power to help you. Reclaim God's concern for you and his power to help you. Now this is where I want to focus on something that that I hope will be helpful and might give you the, the will to keep trying and the will to hang on. He says in verse 7, and he says it again in verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. He says it again in verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. Didn't say God is with us. He could have said that. But he said the Lord Almighty, and I started looking, doing a little study of that, and and I found out that the very first time that it's used is in 1 Samuel chapter 3, I believe it is. I need to check my notes here. First uh, Samuel chapter one verse three. First Samuel chapter one verse three is the very first place this is used in Scripture. The Lord Almighty is with us. Here, here's what he says. First Samuel chapter one verse three. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. And this is the very first time that this is mentioned in scripture and when you start digging into the hebrew uh, word or the name there the lord almighty very interesting what you find it it can be translated this way the lord of hosts is with us you say well that's interesting but that still doesn't help me a lot what does that mean he's the lord of hosts well write this down somewhere on your notes the lord of hosts or the lord almighty refers to to three things in scripture it's used in three different ways in scripture it, it is used to refer to the Lord of the armies. Now, now help me real quick. What does the word Lord signify to you? Lord. Owner. Master. Owner, master, ruler. So he's the Lord. He's, the, he's, in, he's sovereign over the armies. Physical armies. It's used in the scripture in that way. All right. It also can be translated this way. He's Lord over the angels. 
Lord of hosts. He's Lord over the angels. It's used in a third way. Lord of the heavenly host, referring to the sun, the moon, and the stars. The Lord of hosts, He's Lord over the sun, moon, and the stars. We put all that together. This, when he says in Psalm 46, verse 7, and Psalm 46, verse 10, or verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. He's probably a reference to the sovereignty of God who was sovereign over all the powers of the universe. He is sovereign over all the powers of the universe. The Lord Almighty, He is sovereign, He is Lord over all the powers of the universe. Now, here's what David, or not David, here's what the the writer of Psalm 46 was saying. There is nothing that I face that is greater than the one I'm serving. There is no problem that I have that is bigger than the Lord Almighty. That the one that I know, the one that I serve, the one that I trust, is greater than anything in all the world. And though I might be facing Sennacherib and his army, I serve the one who is the Lord over all the armies. And though I might have a problem I have no answer for, I serve the one who is greater than any problem I can imagine because he is sovereign over the angels. He is sovereign over the human armies. He is sovereign over the heavens above. He is Lord Almighty. That's why David said, the Lord Almighty is with us. It's not just that I know about Him, but He's with us. The God of Jacob is our, what's that word? Is our fortress. Now, if you understand that, then you're prepared to read the famous verse of verse 10. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Remember what Hezekiah prayed when we were looking at that in 2 Kings? He he said, Lord, I want you to do this so that everybody, shortest translation, so that everybody will know that you're the Lord over all the armies. So they'll, they'll know that you're Lord over everything. When we come to the place in life where life is so hard you can't handle things, one of the things that you need to realize is that He is Lord Almighty. And when you get to the point where you recognize He is Lord Almighty, then, watch this, then you can be still. I suggest to you, I submit to you, that you and I have a hard time being still because we are not convinced, we know with our head, but we are not convinced that He's Lord Almighty. Now, I know in, in theologically with your head, you know He's Lord Almighty. But you're not convinced He's Lord Almighty, and I can prove it to you. Because you keep trying your best to fix it. You've got your hands all over it. You're trying to solve it. You're trying to talk to everybody you can talk to. You're trying to do everything you can. You're trying to be God. God. 
And there is only one who is Lord Almighty. Now, what's the title of our lesson tonight? What is the title? Write this down on your notes. Be still. Be still. Means this. It's the Hebrew word rafa, and it means relax, quit, or take your hands off. Take, I like that one. Take your hands off. But we like to be hands-on people because we like to manage our own lives. Uh, but God is God, and we are not. And so he says sometimes... You just need to be still, take your hands off, and know that I am God. Isn't that good? Take your hands off and know that I am God. Relax and know that I am God. Be quiet and know that I am God. You've been trying to be God. Why don't you let me be God in this situation? Take your hands off. And know that I am God. Remember what Hezekiah prayed. Remember he laid it before the Lord in prayer. That letter. He laid it before the Lord in prayer. And you know what he was saying? I'm taking my hands off of it. Because you're God. And I've got no power to defeat this army that's surrounding my city. And in fact this really isn't my city anyway. It's the city of God. And so, Lord, I'm laying this out before you in prayer. I'm taking my hands off of it. And now I need you to be God in this situation. Which brings us to C. We can hear from God when we're silent before Him. You see, verse 10 is a call to slow down. Verse 10 is a call to be silent. Verse 10 is a call to let go Uh, Perhaps you might even translate it, stop. Stop trying to be God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Have you ever had to say that to your kids? Shh, be still. Huh? You have, haven't you? Shh, be still. Ladies, have you ever had to say that to your husband? Be still. Sometimes God has to say that to us. I've done it too. I know you have. I've done it. We get so worried. We get so worked up. We get, we get so uh, uh, just bent out of shape over something. Uh, everything seems to just be frustrating us. And God says, shh, be still. We can hear from God if we'll be silent before Him. Be still. Know that I'm God. Another way to say it is this. We can't hear from God when we're in a hurry. We can't hear from God when we're in a hurry. He says, be still. And then you'll know that I'm God. It's very easy to live a life of busyness, a life of chaos and clutter. We've got deadlines and worries and bills and all kinds of things. And then there is this very simple word we should not ignore. God's call to simply relax. Shh. Don't worry. 
Take your hands off. Be still. And know that I'm God. And then that brings us to D on your outline. We have to remember who's really in charge. We have to remember who's really in charge. Because he says, be still and know. K-N-O-W. What does know mean? Even in the English language, K-N-O-W. What does know mean? Understand. Good. Be aware of. Be still and be aware that I am God. Be still and understand that I am God. Uh, Sometimes... The first step in experiencing God is the realization that you're not Him. Sometimes we have to be reminded, you're not Him. You don't have all the answers. You don't, you don't even know all the questions. You don't have the, and if you knew the questions, you don't have the power to fix it all. And even if you had power to fix some things, there's, you can't change people. So the Bible says, stop and remember who's really in charge. See, as long as you're in His hands, there's no such thing as something being out of control. He is still God, and you are still His. It's not a blank there, but I would write that one down. He is still God. And you are still His. Is the army surrounding the city? Yes, but He is still God. And you are still His. Does your wife have cancer? Yes. But He is still God. And you are still His. Are there problems that you can't solve? Are there bills you can't pay? Yes, but He is still God. And you are still His. Do you have a problem in your marriage that you've not been able to? Yes, but He is still God. And you are still His. Be still and know. Take your hands off of it and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth, in the earth. The Lord Almighty, I love that name now, the one who's in charge of everything. The Lord Almighty, He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the earthly armies. He's greater than the heavens and the earth. He created all of it. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thank you, Father, that you have reminded us tonight that a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. And God, I want to pray over these dear people because I don't know all that they're facing. I don't know the issues and the struggles that they have or that we might have tomorrow. The difficulties we might face next week. But I pray that we will indeed recognize that you are our refuge and strength and a very present help in time of trouble. May we have a God focus rather than a man focus. That we have a God perspective on everything we face. And remind us sometimes, Lord, we have to say it until we mean it. And until we believe it. 
Help us to claim this scripture so that we can live our lives for your glory. And thank you. Thank you that no matter what we face, you are still God. And we are still yours. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.